Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone. Rachel, this is completely pointed directly at you. Of everything I've done in my career, selling hops to brewers is the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I believe you, and I, I have a lot to <laughs> why it's so hard for small brewers. So just I totally get it. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. Um, that's, I think, a bigger hurdle than any technical yeah. challenge that faces any small-scale hop yeah. brewer. Yeah. And it's a technical challenge, and it's also a – Nine times out of 10, probably more than nine times out of 10, it's not in their wheelhouse to be a salesperson. They are, they're getting into this because they're a grower, they're a farmer, they're good at that. Right. And, and that was a big part of the Charter Grower Program for us was that we said, we will help you grow. Let us worry about the selling part because right. we know you don't want to do that. And again, nine times out of 10, they'd say, thank God, here, just take these. <laughs> take right. these. And I'm not a, I mean, I've had lots and lots of sales training because as part of my field research, I was always interacting with farmers and usually larger corporate scale farmers. So I was always trying to sell as well, but um, that's not my wheelhouse. I'm a tech guy, right? So right. I took what I knew was a strong point and something I could sell to brewers as a value add to help me get in the door. Right. So that's what small scale growers need to look at is what is your niche? What is it that you do better than anybody else or can? And how does that fit in with your vision for growing hops? And sometimes it doesn't. No, that is absolutely correct. Because the, the biggest problem for me, and I'm a small brewer, so I should be able to accommodate these small growers more maybe than the bigger breweries. But my problem is, let alone for having some supply left on a hop contract, but like, let alone for that. Um, which I've even stopped doing. So eventually that will run out. But I don't think within North Carolina, the ones that I've talked to, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure no one pelletizes. Uh-huh. That's a problem for me. Yep. I can't just throw all those hops into my half barrel co-pilot system or my three barrel batch. Like I can't, right. I just can't do that. Yep. And so, I mean, that's, that's a deal breaker. But yep, absolutely. You, that's a deal break. And that's unfortunate because I know how hard it is, like the investment to get a pelletizer and all that. I just don't see how you can survive without having a pelletizer unless growing hops is just one little piece of what you're doing. You can't. On the farm. You can't. At the end of the day, you can't. This local producer who has a farm, I, you know, um, they're great guys, but I just can't do anything with whole leaf hops. Send them out to be pelletized. If he needs, if he needs contacts and I'll do it on a small scale, let me know. <laughs> and I, I know talking with that, that specific grower, that was one of the things he said, he has a pelletizer, but he was like, I'm never going to be able to have a product lower in cost than like YCH That's or someplace okay. like that. That's and okay. it's, but yeah. it's, so, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he has that and it's going to be a local kind of product, mm-hmm. but they're, there isn't, you don't always get the, the people like Rachel who understand that creating a local supply chain or supporting that local supply chain is important in and of itself. And that, that means that it's naturally going to cost a little bit more, sure. but what, where is the bottom line? You know, where does it actually affect 
what what cost of that pint is yep. actually affected by that. And, what you could get away with, like, like there are breweries that will spin that. Like Noda, for example, they they will like they they do that with the Carolina malt supply with their malt company and mm-hmm. not and that. But you're right. At a certain scale of economy, it becomes too much, and a bigger brewery is going to do that. But like. I would totally switch everything and buy all local hops if they were pelletized. Like there's no other barrier for me unless it was garbage. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I would, I would like to specifically ask you about that. And I know I put that in our town isn't going to work, but I will pay the same as I do for, you know, 15, you know, like four, depending on the hop. Right. You know, most small growers, Rachel don't know what it costs them to grow. Yeah. They have no idea. Mm-hmm. So they set a price and I'll say, what's that price based on? Probably just other people's prices. Yeah. They're like, well, this is, this, you know, I want to get as I'm much for it as I can. Right. I'm like, okay, but what does that mean? Yeah. Right. What does it cost you to grow? Well, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just small. Even more important <laughs> to know right. what it costs you <laughs> right. to grow. What do you have in it? Or I don't count my labor. Okay. Well, that's uh, a lot of business owners everywhere. Yeah, I know. That's why I was like, I could do this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and Jen, we, what were you going to ask? Yeah. Me? So I, um, and I will say one thing that I can add to that definitely is within the guild, um, obviously because of things like antitrust regulations, when people, it was always a challenge because somebody would say, I don't know how to price my product, you know, in like our community forum. And I would have to come in and say, you can't ask that here. Right. This is, you know, the, we can't discuss setting prices. Um, that's illegal, but there were a lot of people who were like, I don't, I don't know how to price my product. And you could call another maltster, but the, you know, that maltster may have been in business for five years. They right. may be in a completely different area. And then, you know, a lot of times what we would tell them is talk to your local homebrew store owners or your local suppliers and find out what they're paying for things and then back your way into it. Um, but with hops specifically, Southeastern hops, Mm-hmm. I know NC State has a hop breeding program. Yep. There is a, a brewery in um, Etowa that I was at a few months ago. It's called Sideways Farm Brewery. And they have about nine acres. And it is very much a farm brewery, but they are growing some of the hops for the NC State, uh, the, some of the varieties that are coming out of NC State. Um, I'm trying to think of like, and I, I have not tried the hops I cannot attest to their quality or their flavor, but right. traditionally one of the first things you learn about hops is hops only grow best between certain parallels. Um, I also say that coming from the malt and barley world where people said you can't grow barley in North Carolina. You can't grow barley in, in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, and it's getting better. Mm-hmm. It's not what people are used to. Right. And it. For me specifically, um, barley grown in the Southeast has a very particular flavor to it. That's not Mm -hmm. good. It's not bad. I can just pick it up that Mm -hmm. this is like, okay, this is some like winter two row barley from somewhere in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. So translating that to hops, how are those hops programs, the breeding programs for non-traditional areas, what they're producing? What is your opinion on those? And it's okay. kind of a loaded question, um, but <laughs> <laughs> anytime anybody says, "James, what is your opinion?" It's like, All right, put the seatbelt on because right. here we go. Or I guess maybe uh, discuss. <laughs> this is a little more diplomatic. Discuss some okay. of the challenges that you face when you're ah. trying to 
create a hop breeding program in an area where hops don't grow well. Right. So this is this is my cue to get alcohol. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, what I so let's talk about the regionality thing. Um, in the last ten years, hops are being. We are learning more about how hops behave in quote non-traditional growing regions than we have in the history of human species. <laughs> so to say that hops don't grow in Florida is a misnomer. They absolutely do grow in Florida. Mm -hmm. Well, hops don't, you're not going to get a, a harvest. Yes, you will. Hops will flower in Florida. So people say, well, great, I'm going to send it. Don't do it, Florida. Don't do it. <laughs> um, or they'll say, well, why don't I just grow in a greenhouse? And one of the things I like to say is you can do whatever you want. Drives great bananas. <laughs> but that's just my snarky comment of being like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother. It's sort of like Rachel be like, you're not worth my time. Yeah. So I don't need you well, actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the biggest challenge is in breeding hops for areas that are non-traditional and you have basically no, uh, long-term record of this plant's horticulture, what are you breeding for? How do you know what to breed for? So if we say, okay, 10 years to bring a, a variety to market, that is, and frankly, the marketability aspect is like the last thing and the last attribute in that step that you're testing for. So that means nine years and probably a thousand or 2000 plus uh, generations. How do you know what to breed for? And so when Pete, when I hear those comments of, oh yeah, you know, we're, you know, NC State's, you know, breeding their own hop based on what, mm -hmm. what attributes are we brewing? Are we doing it? Are we doing it because we need our own hop because that's going to give us an identity and that's how we're going to really put our foothold in the marketplace? No, I think that's absolutely wrong. The, to link that back to your first question about, you know, how do smaller non-traditional regional growers compete without having a sexy variety? You need a full-blown, honest-to-God, pay-somebody marketing cooperative, mm -hmm. period. Because the only way you're going to get any headway into the industry is having someone who's always in Rachel's face, right? Mm -hmm. Here you go. This is who we are. We are serious. We can get you what you need. And that takes, that takes money of, from the group. From, from a true marketing cooperative. And Greg and I, had a, we have an episode on co-ops. It's like, is it a co-op or a club? Mm -hmm. Because most of these grower groups, and even though we've got a couple of, of uh, uh, hopnologists in the New York region that are part of those groups and say, guys, you, you're, you've, you're running a club. Mm -hmm. You all get together, you all sort of pay your dues and you get together and you talk about your hop issues. But what you really need to do is put your serious money into a marketing traditional marketing cooperative for a specialty crop and start making headway in into the to the marketing space for those brewers mm -hmm. period and and that's it's like it costs so much money to do that it's yep. like what what's the best way to make a million dollars is probably to spend a billion dollars doing it <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to it's true it, it can take a lot of money but frankly you uh, and we look at we look at hop growing and we thought very erroneously very early on with our charter grower program that if you were going to spend 10 grand just on infrastructure for an acre of hops you were incentivized to perform wrong 
<laughs> no, no, people will drop 10, 15, 20 grand if they think they can buy their way into success. Easy mm -hmm. peasy. And there's nothing further from the truth. Yeah, hop, our grow, uh, marketing co-ops do take serious money to start up. Um, but there's also serious money available in the form of grants in every state in the, in the U.S. for specialty crops. It's called the Specialty Crop Block Grant. And part mm -hmm. of that is for specifically this. And when I talk about money, I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up. Right. And write a grant proposal. And there you go. There's, that's how one can get started doing that. Then once the money flows in from sales and, you know, all that kind of stuff, then you can help support that because now the growers can see that there's, they can actually grow more because they have a market. So now they can pay more into a cooperative. And so that's how it works. But you're right. right. You do need seed money. And that is interesting that um, with, with hops and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not as familiar with hops as I am with barley and malt, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, hearing something about the uh, marketing cooperative, I have in different regions and I won't, I won't call anybody out specifically, but in different <laughs> regions, you know, the, the maltsters in particular are competing for the same customers and they don't particularly, they can professionally get along if they're in a room together, but there's no way in hell they're going to work with each other, which is oh, where right. something like a guild, you know, comes into, into play. But of course we can't do, we can do marketing as, you know, craft malt, the, the product, not the individual people, um, but needing kind of that regionality that, you know, the growers could potentially do something like that. But then right. the, the maltsters are the, the processors and that's a lot of where the story comes in. So yeah. are a lot of hop growers also this, also processing their, their same products or is that, is there kind of like a, a hopster, kind of like a maltster? Uh, not really. There's some folks that tried, but there's just not enough volume to justify it. Right. So most hop growers who are getting into processing and processing being defined as post-drying, so pelletizing, changing its form mm -hmm. into a food product, um, that's usually very small scale individuals doing that. They may do some contract work here or there, uh, like for some of your growers in North Carolina or Virginia that don't have access to pellets, you know, fee-for-service kind of thing. I will say I've had hops offered to me by like U.S. food, mm -hmm. and that's weird. Yep. <laughs> I, as a brewer, no. Yeah. Yep. We go, see it. I'm gonna go to Joe Schmo down the street and get his holy pots, where I'm gonna buy your pellets off the U.S. food truck. Right. And I, don't <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. Want it. That's so weird. Don't. I mean, that's that's kind of like if McDonald's had beer, it would be like, okay, that's that's fine, and there's yeah. a market for it, but <laughs> right, or you know auto dealerships selling personal protective equipment in the era of COVID. You're like, really? Why is, why am I getting Don Miller right. Ford advertisements <laughs> for, right. for nitrile gloves? What the hell? Yeah. You, why? Yeah. You, you, you are not the authority. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah. how to be rude about this, but why do you have us? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. But I think that if we look at just to stay on the co-op thing for just a little longer, the here in Wisconsin, the, you know, we grow over half of the world's cranberries here and it's in one narrow band in the state. And so there's, you know, probably 50 or 60 players in that space, six or seven of them that are large enough to, you know, muscle their way around. And they're the same way. They're perfectly, 
you know, cordial to one another when they're in the same room or at a convention or conference, but they're like cats in a sack uh, <laughs> because they, I, I don't understand why. Uh, well, I do understand why that's not true. Yeah. <laughs> I understand why, because from their perspective, they believe that these other people are the ones that are, you know, edging it on their market and they have to compete with them. But also you've got these growers that have been doing it for three and four generations. And, you know, that grower over there is an asshole because he did something to my granddaddy years ago. <laughs> so right. you've, you've got that sort of thing going on too. But for hop growers, non-traditional hop growers, there's none of that, right? It's so brand new. There's none of that. So state to state, it's a little bit different. Uh, some states collaborate, the growers collaborate, you know, talk, they've got nothing to hide here in Wisconsin. I don't know what it is. Um, but everybody thinks as a grower, they've got the secret and they're not going to share any information with anybody. And, yep. and Michigan was the same way. Michigan hop growers were the same way. They're not going to, not going to say anything about their yield numbers. They're not going to say anything about their quality or their alphas, blah, 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 because they think they're going to let the cat out of the bag. Mm -hmm. And I'm and like, you know what? Go ahead. And, and I was going to say, I mean, the, the market out there, it's so dominated by the Pacific Northwest from a hop perspective that there is so much room for the little guys to play if they all can get their, their marketing and their quality game up. Right. And doing that together as a group is the only way it's going to work. Yeah. They're right. the, the uh, hop growers of America. The, for a couple of years, they, they entertained the non-traditional hop growers and started this own little side guild for them and which was, I was definitely not for that. Um, they were placating them. They're like, just go over right. there and play a little bit. Um, and they even, you know, like, hey, we're going to have this, you know, small track at our national conference, which was huge. And I was out there and Dan was out there and we, we talked, we got some good exposure, but the, the traditional hop growers uh, were just a nuisance. I mean, they're just like, there were nothing to them. Yes. So, nor are they, is that group incentivized to help the non-traditional hop grower? So your growers, if you're listening, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're left to your own devices. Right, mm -hmm. right. And I, I know with the guild, like we definitely, uh, that was always kind of a source of constant frustration is the industrial maltsters. And they're, they're all, you know, wonderful people, personally, professionally, they're all very nice, but it mm -hmm. was always just kind of a, a pat on the head. And yes, yeah, you guys are really doing something different. That's cool. But, you know, that the research money isn't behind developing no. flavor in barley. Nope. Because and even, your even... customers don't want that, right? Most the traditional barley growing who you're growing the barley for flavor is the, yeah. the enemy you know it's homogenation is what they want even the the research dollars that are available for new hop varieties coming out of the usda at corvallis mm -hmm. it's all bred for the pacific northwest environment right and so the small-scale hop grower says hey great you know not in non-traditional areas north carolina virginia wherever it happens to be in the southeast I'm going to get access to these great new varieties, but you put them in down there and they don't grow for shit because yeah. they weren't bred for that environment. Right. Right. Because, exactly. Well, but these, this is kind of out of the public breeding program. I'm like, uh, -huh. oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. <laughs> so don't, don't bank, do not bank as a grower in your regions, do not bank on breeding to save your bacon. Cause it's not. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I know with, with the guild, we like, we kicked open some doors to, you know, to get invited to conferences, to get invited to speak where it was, um, you know, knowing we had somebody on our board who's maybe a past president of the ASBC, mm-hmm. having him specifically email the organizers and them saying like, yeah, that would be great if you wanted to come talk. And he's like, oh, no, no, not me, this person. Too late. We already accepted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is. it was just making people pay attention. Yep. I, I'm kind of well known for that and getting in people's faces <laughs> certainly certainly on the on the technical aspects because i'm like show me the data um right. and it's probably why i don't get invited back to the hop growers of america anymore just <laughs> starting to put these two things together here hmm. <laughs> yeah i'm not yeah. well liked <laughs> there, there, there was a bit of, a bit of you're giving him a microphone really you know when this all started <laughs> as for, okay for new england ipas on the science side, all the arguments and conversations about biotransformation and Hop Creek and all right, what's your take? Is there right, really? Let me put my science hat on. I need oh, a boy. science. Why this is bullshit? <laughs> okay, science hat is on. I like it. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> this, this is, this is when I start calling him out for making words up. Right. So, like, basically, Fritch, break it down for our listeners. Why is everyone in a hoo ha about it? Why is it such a big deal? Is there really some sort of scientific reason why this makes it better? Magic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, or is it a bunch of, you know, I need a, a reason to back up my theory, kind of? So, yes with an if, no with a but. <laughs> um, biotransformation is a thing <laughs> right. that we heavily relied on in the history of brewing anything. Uh, we've just come to have to appreciate, I think, in the last even five years that it's a thing that actually has a much bigger impact on consistency than what anybody really ever appreciated. It was part of the dark art of brewing, right? It's that I tell my Siebel students, I was like, you know, I think brewing is about 60% science, 40% art. And maybe it's 60% art, 40% science, but either way, there's things that we know intrinsically that in a in a bio living system, in a biological system, the variables are so huge that we can't always write an equation for it. So we, we have to appreciate that it's there, but we can't quantify what's going to happen because there's just too many variables and biotransformation is one of those things. Unfortunately, what's, what's happening now in, in the research space is that that's exactly what we're trying to do with like things like aromazyme, and whatnot, where you're saying, oh, hey, we know that in, in, the, in the beer, we have these aroma-bound glutamates that if we go in and we make this cleave through hydrolysis with this special enzyme, it's going to release all this bond linalool you didn't know you had. Yep, you know what? So is aging. So it's, it's not a new thing. It's, and I would even argue that it's not a necessarily a controllable thing. You're tossing in, in this particular in, instance, mm-hmm. you're tossing in an enzyme you're giving it a space to work 
But in order to calculate what's going to come off the back end, you got to know what's the feedstock is, what's going in the front end. And have you done that analysis? Right. No, you haven't. So what, what do you expect to get out the back end? This is a point in class at Siebel. I'd like you go stand in the corner, <laughs> which I have done before. I have made, <laughs> and they're like, what, really? I'm like, yeah, go stand in the corner. Um, <laughs> so that's biotransformation. Yes, it's a, it's a real thing. Oh, and, sure we know there are some pathways that we can uh, track with a very high degree of confidence uh, for mostly for around the aroma, the big aroma compounds, nerol and citronella and all those sorts of things where, yeah, you put in hops during primary fermentation, expecting that you're going to get a bunch of citronella out of it. And actually the yeast chew it up and spit out nerol on the back end. You're like, what the hell happened? Mm-hmm science no one even knows that because they don't even know what they're tasting like these brewers they just throw yep. it in. there's no i mean they taste yeah. harsh yep that's astringency coming from polyphenols most mm-hmm. likely yeah. um especially when you overload the system um and those polyphenols being water soluble they're gonna just keep soaking out and soaking out and soaking out of the system as opposed to some of these other aroma compounds that are, some of them are water soluble, but there is a carrying limit in the beer for those compounds. And the more you add, you're not going to get those compounds out, but you will continue to suck those polyphenols out, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to hit your upper limit on some of these aroma profiles, but then your polyphenols are just going to keep going. And then you end up with this thing that tastes like turpentine. Mm-hmm. What is your max amount of dry hop per barrel to make it's a good the, IPA? Deep, an IPA? Yeah, well, yeah, just like the max per That's barrel. Gonna, you're acting the wrong guy. He's gonna he's gonna say zero. <laughs> I, okay, I think, not true. I enjoy IPAs. Well made, well balanced IPAs. The trouble true. is, they're hard to find right now. Mm-hmm. I think for me, growing up in the brewing world, if you will, I was taught you know no more than two pounds per barrel. Like that's too and, much. That's too much. I, I actually. <laughs> only from a, from a dry hop perspective. At, at just from a, what we do is one pound per barrel. So for you, you're talking total hop usage or dry hopping? Dry hopping. Um, in a, let's say a moderate gravity beer. Uh, because that, this whole, if I give you a number, there are people going to be like, yeah, but what if it goes into this beer? What are you going to shut up, John? Sure, um, sure. Yeah. So, well, the reason I, I bring it up is because I want people to hear like these I, breweries are doing six, seven, eight pounds per barrel. It's ridiculous. Let's go with what the data say, right? The data show unequivocally in a pale ale with moderate gravity, five and a half percent alcohol content, that beer is not going to absorb any more than 1.6 pounds per barrel, mm. period. At, from an extraction rate. Come out of my pocket. Period. Yeah. End, of, end of the day, take it to the bank. And as a matter of fact, at room temperature, that extraction is done in 12 hours. Yeah. Boom. Get the freaking hops off of it because the longer it sets, the more polyphenols you're going to start pulling off of that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a really malty beer and you've got a higher gravity, you want some of that, right, to cut through that, that, sweetness maybe you do maybe you don't Mm -hmm. but get the hops off of there people like well wait a minute but it's not going to taste all that great so i'll have to leave it sit in there for longer i said i said the extraction was done Mm -hmm. 
right? There is still acid hydrolysis going on, breaking these components apart. There's oxidation that has to happen that you want to do this. And yeah, some of those glutamates, those aroma bond glutamates we talked about get cleaved during this aging process. So the beer hasn't developed its total aroma bouquet yet, but the actual chemical extraction in the solution is done. And if you do it at cooler temperatures, like, you know, two Celsius or something like that, it's like 48 hours. It's yeah. done. People are like, hey, I leave, I leave my dry hop set on this beer for two weeks. Yeah, why? I've gone through, <laughs> I've gone through like in my brewing career, gone through those stages, like at Hardywood. God, I don't remember. I think even maybe left hand and even in the beginning of Noda, they were dry hopping at 50 degrees, 55 degrees, like coming down. Um, and it probably wasn't even until I started really working at Noda where all that really changed and all, we went up to 74 degrees. And that's what I do now as, as a brewer. But like there was a time in just like everyone's practice. Like I even come across brewers still who will, they, they talk to me about this hop creep. I, I've, hop creep is weird to me because I guess I just, I always leave my fermentation open when I dry hop. Like mm -hmm. I don't cap it off. And I think that might be the problem. They're just keeping it in there. I've just never had this hop creep problem before. Like, yes, obviously, if you dump anything into a fermenter, it's going to agitate the yeast and re get it going again. But I've never had like a problem mm -hmm. from it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So hop creep. And again, all things old or new again. People were writing about what we're calling hop creep in the 1860s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's a thing that we knew about. We didn't know why it was happening. And we have a much better understanding now because of the exploding bottles and blah, blah, blah. And I was skeptical, still am a little skeptical of people's, oops, people's claims of hop creep being the result of, or being the problem of their manufacturing woes. I right. think it uh, probably yeah. has more to do with poor practice. But we do know without a doubt that hop creep does occur and the reason it is occurring we believe again we've had two or three research projects that have shown this is that hops have a an enzyme in them that is able to cleave some of these branched sugars that other yeast can't cleave and so once these enzymes clip those sugars, now those sugars are available for yeast to consume to continue fermentation. Oh. So one of the interesting aspects of that, and something I'm very curious about, but I haven't found any collaborators yet, is to understand how hop drying temperature impacts the activation of those enzymes. Oh, interesting. So high temperature drying, does that inactivate those enzymes whereas my low temperature drying yeah it's got more aroma but your likelihood to have those uh special enzymes be active to cleave those branch sugars could be higher don't know total speculation but something that we need to look at hop creep does happen and it's especially prevalent in beers that are over dry hopped if you're if you're dry hopping in that 1.5 to 2 pound per barrel range i you're not likely to see it um, but those people that are just going ape shit with their, with their dry hops are more likely to find it. Cause these, the enzymes is there in very tiny amounts, very, very, very small amounts. So it takes a lot really to, to cleave a bunch of these sugars that, that might be floating around in there. What's that? 
that would make sense why I don't have any problems with it. Yep. Yep. So that's the skinny on, on, on hop creep. Again, it's a, it's the boogeyman of the day right now. So everybody wants to point their finger at, you know, Hey, this is why my beer exploded or this is why this went bad hop creep. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I don't. Right. Uh, one thing I think a lot of, and not calling out anybody who's been mentioned on this, uh, on this recording today, <laughs> but I think that <laughs> a lot of, of brewers, so the ones who are really making the New England IPA styles well, they understand most of the science. They are technical brewers who understand mm -hmm. what this is. And so many people who are producing a hazy IPA now don't know. And I, I know nope. that I think all of us from personal experience have can attest to the fact that there are a lot of breweries where people thought it would be fun to open a brewery. Um, it's a retirement project. You know, their, their buddy in their neighborhood thinks they make good beer and wants to invest. My mom likes my beer. Exactly. So there, there are a lot of people who kind of read these recipes and don't understand you have to have all of those considerations to make it well. And sometimes it turns out okay, and sometimes it doesn't. And I don't know if you guys, uh, did you guys watch Arrested Development? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know how no one in the Blue family knows what yeah. a chicken looks like? Uh -huh. <laughs> That's New England IPAs today, yep. where it's a nice. bunch of people being like, <laughs> like you know, they, they just don't. Yeah. They, it's just all a bastardization of bastardizations and you know no, people are rarely getting the the, the such a problem. one i went to a bar and asked if they had any ipas that were not new england and the guy was like aren't all ipas new england these days and i was like burn it down yeah and <laughs> <laughs> it set the building on fire <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they didn't even have they had like all their tasks with new england ipas anyway yep. so i was just like oh my god i can't yep. he was dead serious mm-hmm he didn't know. Yep. Well, that's the, and, and Jen, we had the same problem in the hop industry uh, about 10 years ago. It's definitely not as prevalent as it was, but um, we called them. I had, I wrote this blog post about the five kinds of hop growers that were out yeah. there at the time. Right. And one of them was the fat cat, which, you know, it's, just, it's like, I've got this money. I'm going to come in here. I'm going to be the biggest splash on the, on the block because, you know, I'm a businessman. Like if anybody describes themselves as a businessman or a businesswoman, like their primary, like that's who I am. I go the other way <laughs> because nothing good is going to come of that. Um, and, but we have the same problem or it's like, I've got a quarter of an acre in my grandma's side yard. I'm going to be a hop grower. Uh, and they just, they end up cluttering the space mm -hmm. and it becomes one more thing that you have to, one more thing you have to, I guess, differentiate yourself from yeah. and just, yeah, it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. As a grower, as a brewer, rather, you end up not trusting what you get locally. And one of our stories that, I mean, true story was a grower who, you know, knocked on the back door of a brewery with a garbage bag with their hops in them and said, would you buy my hops? And that is our cartoonish example for how not to sell to a brewery, but it, it happens. Yeah. All the time. It happens well, on the Malton Barley side too. And that's really hard if you're if you're the, the one who's doing it well. That's really hard to come back from because yep. you just paid a premium price more than what you would normally pay for your raw ingredients. And it didn't work out well because as brewers, you're also used to consistency and reliability. And you maybe don't understand. I know with the malt and barley side, 
teaching somebody that you may have to, you know, you need to look at the certificate of analysis. And if your protein's higher, what? you need to make some sort of, yeah, right? You need to make some sort of adjustment. Maybe you need to adjust your meal. And a lot of people aren't used to having to do that. Mm-hmm. And somebody comes in, you buy that premium product, it doesn't perform the way you want to, and maybe the, the beer gets dumped. You're never going to buy from a, a craft monster or a small scale grower again ever yep. because it just it was a very expensive mistake that you learned we say that and we usually around the concept of local we tell our growers something like, local might get you your first sale but it definitely won't get you your second that's Period. excellent advice it's unfortunate but it's it's true i mean yep. i've been there i've i've done the specialty small batch thing and i just don't right. have the time a lot of the times like I, it's unfortunate where I can't really afford to like, I mean, if I buy some malt, I'm buying like four or five beers worth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like, I don't really have a bunch of stock. Cause I also, cause I get my baseball pre-milled cause I'm so small. Yep. So it's hard for me to, um, sometimes I can't buy from local cause I just need the care foam and I need a bag of rice hulls and I need some gypsum and the big guys got it. And I don't want to pay twice for shipping right. and it's not their fault. Um, by any means. So when I can, I, I try, but there's definitely like, I, I had it more focused on local in the beginning, I think, than I do now. That's part of that. But it's also the responsibility of that craft maltster or, or small scale hop grower to realize that and try to remove those barriers for you. Yeah. It's not just you, right? No, it's I'm- not. Right. So I, I remember uh, back in the day when we were running our workshops, we would have one of our, our good brewer friends, kind of a legendary lager brewer up here, Kirby. Um, old, white-haired, ponytailed hippie guy. Uh, craft brewing back in the, in the 80s. And he'd come in and he'd talk about buying local. And he's like, yeah, local's a great story. Um, I'm not sure how I extract value from that. And I'm always interested in talking to you. He's like, but if it's growing in my backyard and it's shit, I don't want it. Quality's got to come first. And that's the thing that small scale hop growers don't necessarily understand. They, they hear what you're saying. They're not listening to what you're saying. They don't really know what that means until they're three years into it. And they're going to have a nervous breakdown because mother nature and Rachel's still not happy with the quality that's coming in because you can't control it. Well, that's called farming, right? So, and, so and there's a lot of people who don't, who still are learning how to brood too. So there's a lot of that. Like I, I might be having a problem, but it might not be because of the grower. It might right. be because of me. Right. And I, you know, not recognizing that or like maybe they have someone who can help with brewing. Maybe they don't. Yeah. So there's a, it's a tough, tough barrier for sure. Cause it's a take, it's a hard pill for a brewer to realize that they're not doing things right. And if you can, if you can get them to understand that, then maybe you have a chance, but then you're like also a dick if you say it in the wrong way. So it's like, <laughs> what do you do? You know? Right. It's rarely, it's, it's rarely the maltster's fault, but everybody likes to blame the maltster. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, it's an e- it's easier than blaming yourself for, for a right. bad job brewing. Like, Oh, that, that malted workout, I'm going to use something else next right. time. Exactly. And, you know, not my mm-hmm. fault. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I get it. So yeah, Greg, I think you mentioned you have a game for us. Yes, I do have a game That I've been very ex- excited about. So th- this is something we do called, called Beer the Name. And of course, you know, you're, you're both at breweries, you put together a beer, and then you figure out what to call that beer. We decided to go in the other direction. We've got some names, 
And if this was on the chalkboard in your respective breweries, what would you have put into this beer? How would you have made this beer? And some of these have stories behind them. So th this is one we use every time. A, a nine-year-old son of a friend of mine. We were first getting started with the podcast and we were about to have our first interview and I was thinking of names for these. And I was out for a beer with a friend and he told me a story about his nine-year-old who he overheard his nine-year-old saying this to another child. And this is the first beer I want you to create. And it's called, I'm going to punch you in the throat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we lost Rachel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, She's already got ideas. She's like, I'm going to make mm -hmm. a beer call. I'll punch you in the throat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, you know what? I was actually, um, I was just talking about punching somebody in the throat last night. <laughs> so this, is, this is a good one. Yeah, because I'm trying to now like walk back. It comes up so many times a day. It's very, it, You know, it really does. Mm -hmm. um, ironically, it was an HR person. So that, that would have been like um, extra bad. So well, I guess- punch them hard the, so they don't yeah. get back up. <laughs> exactly. So in Make my count, context, yeah. if it's, I'm going to punch you in the throat- um, knowing that I was saying that about probably one of the worst positions in the world to say that about. Uh, so it's double worse. I think I would make it a double IPA. Um, and I might go with something a little spicier, like maybe uh, some like Chinook hops, uh, maybe some Sriracha Ace, even though I don't really care for Sriracha Ace. And uh, that's that's oh, what I think I would do. It's maybe just like uh, a kind of a classic exactly. West we'll Coast double IPA with some like Chinook, some Sriracha Ace, make it just a little bit spicy. Maybe hop it just enough to actually get like a, a little bit of a throat burn, just as kind of an extra <laughs> FU as it goes. <laughs> I'll just, we'll just add on to that beer and just uh, torpedo it over some ghost peppers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's pretty common that this beer ends up with some sort of uh, hot pepper in it. Usually, when we when we ask this question, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yep. You need you need that throat burn. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, okay, so so what else I've you got, got I've got a couple here. Um, as as you both know, I've mentioned one of my favorite episodes of yours. You talk about about going to beer festivals and things you hate about beer festivals. So this beer is called No Pretzel Necklace Needed. <laughs> All right, Rachel, I'll let you go first this time. No pretzel necklace needed. So, oh, no pretzel necklace needed. Man. Thanks for letting me go first, by the way. Uh -huh. Okay, I mean, I, I have an idea. I can go if you'd like. If you'd like I've, never, I've never stumped anyone before. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of something funny, and I can't really think of anything funny. I'm like, oh, it doesn't have to be funny. Oh. Nope. And, like, I don't need the pretzel because it's got my salt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the direction I went in. So if... Um, <laughs> As a traditionalist, when it comes to pretzel necklaces, um, they are there to <laughs> cleanse your palate and to cleanse your palate only. That's the only purpose they have. So if I'm saying no pretzel necklace needed, then I would go for something very refreshing and very light so you could drink it and it would refresh your palate so you did not need that pretzel. So again, calling in the kind of the pretzel aspect, I think I would do um, just something like a gosa, maybe even actually something like um, a Lichtenhainer. Um, although I guess if I were doing a, a Lichtenhainer and I wanted to add a little bit of salt, then it would just be a smoky gosa. Yeah. Uh, so I think I would do that and just make it, uh, just a, a traditional 
nothing added to the gosa where it is its sole purpose is to have a little bit of that acidity a little bit of that salinity that is going to also be light enough that if you're someplace like a beer festival you could can you know use it as a way to reflect refresh your palate without needing a pretzel necklace i want, I want that beer that one yeah. i want that beer all right well let's, let's see what else um, you got I, I got another one here now um again and i and i did go back through your catalog as i was putting these together we, we know that in addition to doing a podcast you're also basically a book review forum for a single book that you've talked about many <laughs> That's many pretty times. much yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so so with with that in mind why can't we all just get a logger <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, it's going to be longer. It's going to be a hell of longer. Hell of right. Yeah, why not? Because that book is great. Have you guys read that book? <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of this book, but yeah. Rachel and I are big fans. They also have it on audiobook. Is that your thing? Oh, okay. Well, that might be better. <laughs> yes, that, that might work for me. Then. I've not read it yet. It's like a story, you know? I feel like I've read the whole book already based on this. <laughs> I <know. laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, you know, I think I would go with a Vienna logger. Uh, for one thing, I just love that story about uh, Gabriel Sienelmeyer and Anton Dreyer. But um, of course, I'm going to go with something that's very malt forward. And I think that something like a Vienna logger is going to showcase something like obviously Vienna malt. Uh, in a very nice way that goes back to what Rachel and I were have talked about and what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, is you don't need to throw a lot of shit into a beer to get those flavors from it. You can make, have a very kind of deliberate, well-made beer if you really know your ingredients, your raw ingredients, and you know what those flavors can do. You can take a little bit of time and create a, you know, a very beautiful, complex beer that can still be basically a smash beer. So I think for my, can't we all get a lager? It would be a Vienna, Vienna lager. Yeah, I like nice. that one. Nice, nice. So on the opposite side of not throwing a lot you know, of shit into a beer, what would you do with pixie spit? What? <laughs> pixie spit. Pixie spit. Um, pixie spit. That I think that just calls for something like a gosa, doesn't it? You know, like it's it's kind of acidic. With glitter, though. You gotta put glitter yeah. in it. Well, yeah, of course. Um, but you know, it lends itself to things like glitter and things like. Um, uh, wait, is it, I don't know. I feel like pixies probably eat like a lot of fruit. Maybe I don't what know. Is pixie? A pixie, pixie, like a fairy. Like a little fairy, yeah. A pixie stick. Is spit. It spit. Spit. Oh, fairy spit. Pixie yeah. spit. Yeah, pixie okay. spit. Is this no. a term that you guys have all heard before or something? Because I'm very much in the, okay. You're just rolling with it better than I am. Yeah. 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 Okay. No. <laughs> I just thought I was out of the loop. I needed some clarification. That's where I usually live. <laughs> yeah, but I do. I feel like pixies probably have a very sugar forward kind of um, processed good sort of diet. So, um, yeah, I would think something that lends itself well to being very bright and uh, kind of acidic. Lactosey. Yeah. So, so some, why not? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. La last one, and we and, and we keep going farther and farther off the reservation with these. What uh -huh. wh what would you do with redneck bar fight? <laughs> um, that would be a bunch of adjunct loggers all mixed together. That is twelve percent. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Like the twelve-year-old at a wedding reception yeah, drinking out of exactly. everybody's glasses. Yeah. White claw. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Lit on fire. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. White, yeah. White yeah. That's definitely chaser. the white claw. Yeah. Imperial logger dashed with white claw. Nice. <laughs> The it white claw chaser. Yeah, it helps with the presentation. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't hurt. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. All right, that that's what I've got. Thank you for playing. That was um, I I I still I want to try the uh, the smoky goza. I I do. Yeah, I'll I, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> I yeah. happen to know someone who really enjoys brewing and drinking smoked beers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Very good. Well, well, this was this was fun. Yeah, we've uh, made it through. I think three of fifteen talking points. So uh, uh, yeah, yes. time, right? <laughs> that that is what tends to happen. We, well, it just means we have to do it again. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's super yeah. fun. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you guys very much for um, reaching out and then continuing to follow up with us. Um, it's definitely something that we had talked about doing for a while. And like I said, we even just the two of us trying to find time to be able to record is uh, sometimes a Herculean task. So uh, we definitely appreciate the opportunity to come and speak with you guys. Hopefully each one of our audiences, you know, learned a little bit about uh, the other, the other audience, the other podcast. And yep. I definitely encourage all of our false bottom girls listeners to tune into Hopnology and, you know, learn everybody. I, I think most of our listeners and probably most of your listeners as well, are here for the education and mm -hmm. to be delivered that information in an approachable and fun way. Uh, so hopefully all of our listeners kind of blended together um, in this crossover special and uh, we'll, we'll definitely continue listening to both podcasts. Oh yeah. And same goes here, you know, for, uh, for both of our audiences, you know, reach back out, let us know if you, if you liked us, if you want to see us doing this again together as a group and uh, you know, always trying to bring new and different perspectives to what's going on. Although I think, I think we have a lot of similar perspectives. <laughs> makes this so fun. Yeah. I think we're all very good at seeking out people who agree with us. So uh, yeah. <laughs> we've done the, a good yeah. job with it. Can you boil it all down to, I like this, the rest of you can go to hell. Is that kind of what <laughs> yeah, it comes basically. down to? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. So, so yeah, Greg and James, if our listeners wanted to find you guys on social media, on yeah. podcasting platforms, where would they find you? It's uh, hopnology.com is our website. We're on Instagram as hopnology. And I know it's not a real word, which is a little bit hard to find sometimes. It's, <laughs> it's hopnology. We nice. created a scientific term and threw hop in front of it because yeah, we thought that was, would be cool. And I'm good at right. making up sciencey words. Yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> a lot of them are just complete BS. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Well, yeah, yeah. And, and to find the two of you, it's False Bottom Girls on both on Instagram and, you know, wherever pod, wherever your podcasts are sold. Right, exactly. Yes. Uh, yeah, we're False Bottom Girls on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. And uh, you can reach out to us at falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. Nice. And when, when the zombie apocalypse is over, I might bring Greg to, you know, the brewery. And uh, as long as he promises not to be the uninvited guest. <laughs> I love just walking up behind people and going, oh, you should try this one. You should try this one. They, I'm, I'm engaging that way. Right. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> Thank God we have sit down rules now. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Keep Greg in his little box. <laughs> yeah, over there. Mm -hmm. Don't talk to him. <laughs> this has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round.